The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. So hello and welcome everyone to Intuitive Connection. Today, I have another exciting guest, and I am like so excited about this one. Mark Gober is a best-selling author. He is an international speaker. He is a podcaster. And he wrote a book that totally, totally rocked my world. And I'm so excited to share him with you. And uh, Mark also shares a similar journey to the one that I've made going from sort of left brain. In fact, we went to the same alma mater, that left brain world to the world of, of woo. Although I don't know if you describe what you do as woo, but Mark, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So I don't know if I told you this, but I'm going to share it with the listeners as I share it again with you. I would say about a year ago, I came across your book because I'm an avid reader. And there was just something about the title, The End of Upside Down Thinking, that you know caught my eye. And I grabbed it and I started reading it probably around December of last year. And it was like your book picked up where my academic career left off. So I think listeners know, but they may or may not, and you may or may not know, my first training was as an academic psychologist. And I studied at Princeton, which is also where Mark was. And I was fascinated by the mind-body problem. And I was fascinated by these big questions like, what is consciousness? And what's the relationship between our mind and our brain? And I was definitely a materialist, meaning, and you use a different word for this, so we can talk about that. And you might explain better than I will. But the way I understood it was, if the material paradigm, if everything's matter, then our thoughts, feelings, emotions, they have to be products of the brain. And there's actually some philosophers, one that used to be right down the street from me now in UC San Diego, that really uh, had a whole theory around this idea that any of the kind of folk psychology that we talk about, like thoughts and feelings, someday when science is where it should be, we're going to just talk about everything in terms of neural patterns of brain firing. And that was sort of you know where I left off before I got introduced to the whole spirit thing. So your book really kind of 
brought it all home for me. And I'm so grateful for that. So, so tell us a little bit about your story and tell us about the book from your perspective. Thank you for that introduction. It's, it's so nice to hear the story because I don't always know what readers' reactions are. And um, it's great that someone with your background who understands the mind-body problem was able to grasp all of this. Because, so for me, I didn't even know there was a mind-body problem <laughs> when I got into this research. <laughs> but I'll go even further back than that. Um, I studied, I started off in the economics department when I was at Princeton and then uh, wasn't loving it. But I think I also didn't, it didn't resonate with me the way they were doing economics because it assumed rational decision-making in markets. And that's how they do all their supply and demand curves and mathematical models. But people's behaviors are, are much more unpredictable in reality than economists make it out to be. So I wasn't fully satisfied with economics and decided to switch to psychology where I studied behavioral economics. And actually before making the switch to psychology, I was thinking about astrophysics. I had taken a course in that department and I actually met with the head of the department to see if I could be a late entrant into the department and would have had to take all kinds of math classes. I was on the tennis team, which was a huge commitment and decided that if I were to do astrophysics as a late entrant into the department while still doing tennis, it would have been too much. And so I ended up doing psychology, which I loved. And I studied the intersection between economics and psychology. So my thesis at Princeton, most graduates have to write a senior thesis in your major. And mine was on Daniel Kahneman's prospect theory. He won the Nobel Prize for that theory. And it's basically about how people make decisions when they're faced with risky prospects. Um, so that relates to economics in a way. But I, I was I was studying behavior. I wasn't thinking about consciousness per se. I don't even think this question of the brain and consciousness came up. And if it did, it, was, it wasn't something that I even registered at the time. I do remember taking a neuroscience class and it was very much based on how the brain works. And I think there was probably such an embedded assumption that mind, consciousness, awareness, those are just things that come out of these reactions in our skull. So I didn't get to the more fundamental question there. When I graduated from Princeton, I went into investment banking, like many of my classmates, and I was there during 2008, right during the crisis. I actually started in the summer of 2008, so it was before things got really bad, and I was there until 2010. And I worked nonstop. Uh, it was really brutal, but that's what I signed up for. And I decided to leave in 2010 and joined a firm where I spent 10 years advising technology companies and ultimately first moved to Boston, then to Silicon Valley. But in 2016, I was listening to podcasts, uh, not looking for something new. <laughs> I was listening to health and business podcasts. And there was a show called Extreme Health Radio, which had all kinds of interesting alternative health topics. So I was interested in listening to that. And there was a woman on Extreme Health Radio one time, it was just the next one in the queue named Laura Powers, who I know, Victoria, you've spoken with as well. Right. That's how we connected. Yeah. Uh, but she was talking about psychic abilities and communicating with the deceased and just all kinds of really paranormal things. But she was saying it as if it were real, not like, not <laughs> as if it were just some kind of fictional thing. And, and it was, she said she had clients and so I was wondering, well, maybe she's delusional or maybe she's telling the truth. She doesn't seem like she's lying. So something's going on here. But I wasn't, it wasn't like I was questioning it that much even. I was just really interested in what this woman was saying. And so I listened to the whole episode. At the end of the episode, Laura talked about her own podcast called Healing Powers. And I said, oh, that's cool because I drive from San Francisco down to Silicon Valley. It's a long drive. I'm always looking for new podcasts. I'll just subscribe to that. 
And the long story short is within a few weeks, I ended up listening to all of her episodes from 2016 back to 2011, where lots of people described these very paranormal things. And they were talking about it like Laura was in a, like a normal way, as if it were just part of their life. And that led me to start doing tons of research on my own to look at scientific studies. Um, I started talking to psychics myself. And basically, the convergence of evidence in all these areas led me to the conclusion, which is what my first book, In an Upside Down Thinking, is about, that consciousness, this thing that is what registers our experience in life. So without consciousness, we don't experience anything. It's a very fundamental thing. That consciousness isn't something that comes from our brain. It's not something that comes from our body. And it's really the reverse, that the brain and the body are like an apparatus that processes and filters a consciousness that exists well beyond the body. It's well beyond what our eyes can see on a normal basis. So I, my whole paradigm for thinking about life flipped on its head. And that's, that's what I've been focusing on since then. Um, my first book came out in 2018. I did a podcast series in 2019 called Where Is My Mind, where I interviewed many scientists. I also interviewed Laura Powers, but people in this realm of the science of the paranormal. And then I wrote a second book called An End to Upside Down Living, which came out in 2020. And that describes my personal journey, but also the spiritual path more generally, because I learned in my research that many people go through a journey toward a uh, what some would say a more enlightened state of consciousness. And I talk about that journey ended up actually leaving my, my company at the end of 2019 and have been researching since then. Conveniently, I left my company right before the pandemic. So that was, that worked out very well and actually have a third book coming out. So I'm, I'm just finishing that up and hopefully in the next few months it'll be out. Oh, that's exciting. And I've read both of your books and wow. And what a journey. And I think that, you know, I often say, and I said this to Laura when she was on, the show and when I was on hers, that I have the rare luck, I think, really, of mostly preaching to the choir. Most of the people that find me are people that are already open to this or right on the cusp of being open to this. So since I've been doing the work that I've been doing, I haven't found myself in the business like I think Laura is of bringing this out there, you know, bringing this whole idea of psychicness out there to people that maybe are going to be skeptics or maybe have never heard of it or maybe are like, maybe she's not delusional. Right. Most of the people that come to me, like they've already been around the block a few times. But I do think, like, you know, your story is amazing going from that sort of left brain scientific path and then opening yourself up to this. It's amazing. And the other thing that I love about your book, Mark, and I think I told you this when we connected the first time to set this uh, conversation up, was that throughout the year, I have dropped the name of your book on so many podcasts that I've been a guest on. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, because, and I know there's, there, look, there's a lot of books out there that talk about the research for psychic phenomenon and the research, you know, for the existence of psychic phenomenon as a former research psychologist, you know, from an Ivy League, I will tell you it is phenomenal and it is reliable and it is way more, the effect sizes are like crazy big compared to like, you know, what my thesis was on, right? I mean, it's really good research. <laughs> And so I've been using your book a lot when, you know, people will question that and I'll be like, by the way, the scientist in me also can give you some information. Yeah. There's so much science. It's not even close. And that's what gave me the confidence to even write a book like this. Because if I evaluate these phenomena in the way that I would have evaluated something in college or in business, the evidence far exceeds the normal standard in many areas. And that's the way I look at it. it like if there's just one experiment in one area, and everything relies on that one thing, then maybe you could say, well, here we have 
tons of experiments across multiple areas. And that's what's most compelling to me. Even if a few drop off where they find that the effect size upon replication isn't as great, there's too much evidence elsewhere to say that it's all faulty. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. The other thing that I really like about your book that I was thinking about too is, like I said, there's a lot of great books out there that that document all of the research there is for all sorts of different kinds of psychic phenomena. And in your book, you talk about reincarnation, you talk about, and stop me if I'm getting anything wrong, near-death experience, you talk about telepathy. You, I mean, pretty much everything you show the research for and every one of those areas has good and compelling research to some degree. But what I really love about your book is how you tie it all together to this you know, basic idea that we are not our minds, we are not our brains. And you actually have it in your new book, The One Mind. So we'll get to that in a minute too. But this idea, I mean, I really grew up thinking, you know, I have this brain and there's this materialism paradigm. And if everything does not come from my brain, I can't explain life. <laughs> and I remember sitting there in college because I was a double major philosophy psychology. And I remember sitting in class and trying to explain because I would, I know I was using my intuition now, but I didn't know what it was called back then. We'd have these really heady conversations and I would go to the both place beyond words, I would call it. I would feel into that. I would get some information. I'd bring it back. And I realized now I was just talking to my guides and doing what I do now for a living, but I didn't know that's what it was back then. But, you know, they kept giving me this information. And what I kept trying to say is either the whole paradigm that our whole world is based on right now, this whole scientific material thing is wrong, <laughs> or this other thing that doesn't really make sense, because most people in the room, you know, thought the materialists were nuts. Like, what do you mean, folk psychology? What do you mean we're going to be talking about patterns of brain? You know, that's crazy. And yet that was really, you know, the way that I saw it, those were the only two choices. And... So what I love about your book, not only do you give us the third choice, but you do it with science. Yeah. So it's really cool. Thank you. So talk to me about, you know, the reception for your book. Because like I said, I, I preach to the choir. So, you know, people that come to me, they already believe in what I do. They may not 100% believe that I do what I do. And that's totally, I'm a big fan of being skeptical, right? Don't just believe someone's psychic because they tell you they are. And always bet whatever comes through with your own intuition because you just got it. That's, that's, that's what I'm in the business of helping people to do. But at the same time, like most people come to me are not looking to just know if this phenomenon is real. But mm -hmm. someone buying your book, they are looking at that, right? I would think so. I, it's been interesting because I didn't know what to expect as a first-time author putting the information out there. And what I found is that relative to the number of people that have read the book, I hear from a small percentage. So it's really, it's hard for me to say what the reception's been. I, I hear from some people who have a similar reaction to yours, which is they have a scientific background and they appreciated that all the evidence in, was in one place and there was real statistical evidence. So I've had, I have heard reactions like that. So I would say overall it's been positive, but it's, it's hard for me to say what the reaction's been. And one of the, the vibes I get from your book, and I think I get this a little bit from talking to you as well, is a little bit of maybe frustration that with all this research out there, people don't get it. Do you yeah. feel that way? I would say I'm less frustrated now than I was when I first started. Now I've just kind of accepted that's how it is. And, and people, some people are rigid. Some people don't have the time to think about this. I mean, I, I spent so much time and still spend so much time reasoning through things in my head, reading different things. 
And I don't know if I would have gotten to this point if I didn't have that much time to be able to spend on it. So I have to appreciate that other people aren't necessarily prioritizing these topics in the same way. So I think it can be frustrating in the sense that my worldview now is so completely different than so many people that I know. And it's just like we literally look at everything in a different way. And that's that's just an adjustment. Yeah. Absolutely. I can see that. And I bet you a lot of people that follow this podcast are starting to feel that way too. (laughs) Yeah, it makes total sense. I also think that I want to call BS just a little bit on your research because, I mean, I, I love your research. No BS on your research. Your research is amazing. And it's such a gift the way that you are able to put things together. And, you know, if it hasn't been clear right so far, I love your book or books. But I also think that, you know, there's a knowing inside all of us. Yeah. And when it gets tweaked, you know, and we follow it, that's where magical things happen. So I think something piqued your interest when you heard lower powers. I think something called to you. I think something awakened in you. And then you just use the resources that you had to follow that thread. I think you're right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. In hindsight, it makes sense. When I was going through it, it didn't feel that way. It, it felt very random and haphazard and, oh, wow, I listened to this and, and these things happened. But now it, I can see that there was a pattern behind it. But also it's interesting to note that even before I heard Laura Powers, I was starting to research in general. Like I mentioned, I was listening to alternative podcasts. And for some reason, that was interesting to me. I started to do sensory deprivation tanks. A friend of mine started to do them and they were not far from where I lived in San Francisco. I said, so I said, okay, that sounds interesting. It's like a way to replicate a psychedelic experience. That's what people were saying without having to take a substance. And I said, oh, that's interesting because I'm not interested in, in trying those other substances. So I was already kind of exploring things. And I, I wonder what it what was it doing for me to sit in silence after never having done that throughout my whole life because I was right. always moving hundred miles an hour. I was floating a bunch before I even listened to Laura Powers. So who knows what was being opened up? So you're getting yourself ready for the mind to be blown. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And you know, I, I like something else that you said, because I think for me, first of all, I've been doing this now. And I think we talked about this before. I've been doing this now for like a little over 10 years. And from the time I started to now, I see a huge difference in the amount of people that are open to things like, you know, my calling myself a psychic or intuitive or it's just been huge. When I first started, they were two very different things that I was doing, my counseling, my intuitive. And I didn't really tell everyone about the intuition psychic piece. I was pretty selective. And now I'm pretty much just out there. Yeah. And part of that, of course, is self-confidence and just comfort with it and myself. But I think part of it is the world is changing. And of course, it depends where you look. And I think, you know, as there's an increased openness in some areas, as often happens when we have growth and change, there's an increased closeness or reaction to that in other factions. But I do really think that overall, we're moving to a place where more people are accepting of this kind of thing. And I also think that your work is so important and so pivotal because it, for many people, it's a bridge between that left brain scientific world and the world of the woo. Yeah. Well, that's what I I was hoping to do with it. And you never know who's going to read something when, or who's going to hear this conversation when different things can open people up. But I resonate with what you said, Victoria, about your confidence 
in, in being able to speak about these topics. And I think it is twofold. There is a global shift happening for sure, but also there's an internal shift that I've noticed in myself that I felt very self-conscious talking about this stuff initially. I think writing the book helped me with that because it gave me, a, it helped me organize my own thoughts where I got to the point where I, where I said, okay, this is, this is real. I, I can now document it. And now I'm at the point where I'm not self-conscious about it at all. If I don't talk about it in a certain situation, it might just be because I don't feel like talking about it or I don't feel like going down the rabbit hole. Right. But it's not because I'm self-conscious, whereas I was initially. Yeah, I can see that. I pretty much was the same way. All right. Let's talk about book number two, which I just had the privilege to finish. And it's really like a whole, it's a whole new worldview and a whole new approach to life. And you know, again, it's stuff that I've I've seen from other spiritual teachers for sure. But again, I love the way you put everything together. So tell me about the book and what shifted in you to to motivate you to write it. <laughs> well, after I wrote my first book, and again, my first book came about what felt like spontaneously. I had no intention of ever writing a book. So that was surprising to me. And then people were saying, well, what are you going to write your next book about? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I'm surprised I wrote one. I have no, I, I don't have enough content in my mind to write a second book. And I didn't have plans to write a second one until I gave notice to my business partners in December of 2019 that I was going to be leaving. So I didn't say, I'm going to leave and then write a book. I, I was going to leave because I wanted to open myself up to other things and explore things where I felt more passion. I mean, I was in a great position professionally, but I just felt like I wasn't resonating in the same way. But I think there was something about releasing that when I said that I was going to be moving on, where all of a sudden I got insights for a second book because I, I was continuing to research and having my own personal journey. So there was a lot of, of content, and that, but it, it became organized in my mind. So when I left in December of 2019, or gave notice, because I was still working part-time, I then opened myself up to being able to do some retreats, which I never had time for previously. But because I was working part-time, that was part of my agreement um, that I was going to have time to do things like this. So I ended up going on three retreats, this was in February slash early March of 2020. So right before all the lockdowns hit, wow. I went on an Ayurvedic retreat in New Mexico for a week and had a week off Then went on a silent meditation retreat for about six days and then had a week off and then went on another silent meditation retreat for five days. And after the first silent meditation retreat, I wrote the book or the first draft of it. So during that retreat in silence, a lot of the organization was coming through. And even though we weren't allowed to talk, I was able to use a journal and, and outline it. So when I got back to my to San Francisco, I was ready to go. And then I went on this the second meditation retreat and was able to think about revisions. And so that book came out about very quickly and unexpectedly. That's amazing. So those of you who are looking for a creative process advice, maybe you need to go on some silent retreats. Yes. But your process is pretty remarkable too, because you wrote both books, right, in a matter of weeks? They both happen quickly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's been my pattern, even with this third one. When I'm doing the writing itself, I basically do nothing but that for a short amount of time, which is what I used to do academically and professionally with investment banking. That's how we did projects. We had a client deadline and it had to get done no matter what. So that, I'm just kind of wired that way. So it's a good way to be. And it's amazing that you can use that programming, use that way that you're wired, quote unquote, to do something so magical. It's really cool. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the second book, the premise, what you wanted to accomplish by writing it or sharing it. So the second book builds off of the theme of the first one, which is that consciousness is the fundamental aspect of reality, not the material. And I, I start the book by asking the question, what is the overall intention of your life? 
And I, I reason that in order to answer that question of how we're going to set our compass, so to speak, for how we live and everything that governs our priorities and our values, this is a very fundamental thing. That comes from the way in which we, we view reality. So I go back to this idea of, of consciousness being everything. And I use the term that Dr. Larry Dossey has used and Erwin Schrodinger, the Nobel Prize winning physicist. He said, in truth, there is only one mind. Yeah. Meaning that to use an analogy from Dr. Bernardo Castro, a philosopher, that we're like whirlpools within a stream of consciousness. So we have the sense of being individuals, but we're actually interconnected as part of the one mind. So I explore well, what does that really mean? And then what does it imply about how we live and structure our life and think about challenges in life and what is the spiritual awakening process within that context and ultimately i arrive at at least for what for me is a a general life's compass in terms of how i think about my overall intention without specifics because i think for each person the way you, you might manifest your own life is going to be different but the overall intention to be of service for example and other things like that relate to this overall worldview Beautiful. And how does it relate to your own awakening, Mark? Well, very much so. <laughs> um, because, well, first of all, what I would say is that everyone is going through an awakening journey, whether they realize it or not. That's part of our process of existing, is that we are here to evolve. At least that's where my mind goes after seeing all this research. Or at least that's part of the reason we're here. Maybe there's more nuance to it. But we're here to grow at the level of our consciousness. And so we do that in different ways. Some people might be aware that we're here for that reason and are conscious of it. Others might not be. Right. But the, I think the ups and downs that we go through in life are related to that evolutionary process. So I've had to think about my own ups and downs, of which there have been many. And I've also studied the awakening journeys of many other people, because what I'm going through and probably what you're going through, Victoria, and what many of your listeners are going through is not unique. The overarching journey that we're all going through might be very similar, but the specifics in our lives can differ. And that's what I learned uh, through studying these awakening journeys. And there's a great podcast called Buddha at the Gas Pump, where the host Rick Archer has interviewed hundreds of people that have either gone through awakening experiences or they've researched it or they've been involved in the study of consciousness. And in listening to those journeys, there, there are just too many similarities in the way people describe reality and the way they describe the ups and downs that they go through, even once they're aware that they're evolving. And so I wanted to be able to put that together for people, but also Initially, I was doing it for myself, and that's how it started with my first book, too. My own curiosity is what sparks everything, and then I get to a point where I, I've organized things in my mind for myself to the point where I could say, okay, I can put this on paper. I love that. I love that. I think we all do that to some extent, but I really love your process. I think it's just, it's so sweet. It's so cool. <laughs> and, and I really enjoyed the product, too. I think it's going to help so many people. Um, Because you have such a good way of putting things together and putting them down. But I have a question for you. Would you consider this journey, writing these books, listening to Laura Powers, floating? Is this part of your awakening journey, your conscious awakening journey? Definitely. All of it. What for you have been some touchstone moments, some moments maybe when your mind was blown or when things really shifted for you? It's a great question. I've been thinking about this in the last few days, actually, in kind of retracing the journey. It's been almost five years. And I look at life so much differently than I used to. So to even bring my mind back to where I was five years ago when I heard Laura Powers for the first place, completely different world. It's wild because on a day-to-day basis, I don't see the changes. I don't think about like where I was a week ago is not that different than where I am today. But it's if you start looking in chunks of years, I, you can see the difference. But well... Hearing Laura for the first time was a shift, but it wasn't the major shift. My mind brings me back to an interview that Laura did with 
Paul Davids, who I interviewed for my podcast as well. He went to Princeton. He studied psychology as well. He is a Hollywood producer. So he produced the Transformers and some well-known films. And he was talking to Laura about his life after death project in which one of his deceased colleagues was allegedly communicating with him after he died. And before his colleague had passed away, he told him, look, I'm an atheist. I don't think there's anything after death, but if I'm wrong, then I'm going to drop you a line. And all these crazy things happened to him. Like there was an ink blot on a piece of paper that he was reading in New Mexico by himself. And he left the room and came back and this, this ink blot was there that wasn't there previously. And the ink was like, he said, still wet. He took it to a chemistry lab and they weren't able to figure out what it was. Like very wild stuff. And I remember listening to him tell all these stories. He was very serious. He had spent a lot of time looking at this. And meanwhile, I had listened to many other interviews that Laura had done and it was all kind of clicking. And I remember that I couldn't move. I I started looking around. I'm like, wait, what's going on that I can't see? Maybe there's reality to this. So that was one big moment for me. Another one I was just thinking about yesterday. I was on a, a business trip to Korea. This was maybe a month after hearing that interview. And I was still researching a lot. And on the flight, a really long flight, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and I remember getting to the hotel and I was like, I was just so disoriented because it was starting to click for me that these things were real and that if they were real, then I had to rethink everything and I didn't know what was real. And those were the most disorienting periods for me early on. Since then, there have been some other moments as well, but I would say none have been as earth shattering as those early ones because it was such a a big shift relative to where I was. Now, There are incremental changes, but they feel incremental. These were massive changes, those initial ones in the early days. And also because I I wasn't in a great place personally at the time. There were a lot of things in my life that weren't going my way, at least in the way that I wanted them to go professionally, personally. And so I, I felt really lost. I felt hopeless in many ways. I thought life was meaningless because that's what science said. The materialist or some call it the physicalist paradigm that everything's just matter says that we live in a random, meaningless universe. When you die, it's over. So I, I didn't have any meaning in life. And I, here I was being exposed to something that was rocking my world, that maybe that paradigm was wrong. So the new things that have happened have been within the context of this alternative paradigm. But within that context, I've had a few experiences in meditation. Uh, since the retreats I did in 2020, I've been meditating a lot, I mean, hours a day. And I've had the free time because I left my firm. And I feel energy all the time now. I mean, when I was at the first meditation retreat, Maybe day three or so, I started to feel pounding in what I now realize is the third eye, but I didn't know. I'd heard about it, but I felt pounding, physical pounding, and I felt other physical stuff with energy uh, during that retreat, and that's continued. But when I got back from that retreat, and also a few months before that, I had done a Kriya Yoga retreat, which wasn't as intense, but I guess maybe it was my first time moving energy at all. And when I came back from that retreat, I had an experience too, and they were similar. I was sitting on my bed in a meditative state and I was in a state of what I would say surrender where the mental posture was something like this entity mark is not in control as much as I want to be in control. I'm not in control. And when I had that mental posture, an energy came in, but it wasn't like a third party energy. It wasn't like there was another being, but I felt an energy that I had not experienced before. And both times it was incredibly pleasurable to an extent that is not describable. So the only term that is that I might be able to use that's somewhat similar is love, but it was beyond that because it's not it's so far beyond anything that I've experienced physically. And it was a glimpse both times, pretty short-lived, 
And it was so overwhelming both times that I thought I was going to die. And my body shut it down. I couldn't handle it. The second time it happened, it was accompanied by a weird spinning. I don't know how to explain it other than I felt like I was spinning, but I was not spinning. And I thought that I was going to disappear. I was literally not going to exist here anymore. That's what went through my mind. And part of me said, and this was in an instant, you can't do that because there are people here who would be upset (laughs) if you just disappeared. So my body shut it down. Right. Yeah. It's the dissolution of your ego, my friend. Yeah. (laughs) That's the message that I get. But I've had those moments too, where the bliss comes in and it's so marvelous, but it's, you know, when we're not used to vibing at that level all the time, it's disorienting. It's sort of like, oh, this is amazing, but I can't hold on to that. Right. And my theory is, and you know, we're all, wherever we are in the process, my theory is, is I'm just getting used to holding that higher vibe and getting used to just, you know, incorporating that higher energy and it doesn't have to be all at once. It's just, you know, you taste a little bit and you taste a little bit more. And the next thing you know, that's the only flavor you got. So that's my theory. I don't know if that's helpful for you as well. Those are amazing. No, I I think what you just said, Victoria, is really important though. It's one of the themes that I was looking at closely in these awakening journeys is like, how does awakening happen? Is it some massive dramatic event, which it is for some people. Like Eckhart Tolle talks about he was depressed and then he had this major awakening and ever since then his ego has been gone. It's something to that effect. That does happen sometimes, but there are other people who describe a much more gradual process where they never have a major experience, but it's just over time things shift. And other times people do have a somewhat major event interspersed with less major events. Right. And I also resonate a lot with what you're saying about being able to hold energy. That's exactly what I felt both times is that my body was not capable of holding that energy. Like my nervous system wasn't ready for it. So it shut it down. And in fact, it's one of the things I've, I've come across in the process of study awakenings is that some people artificially stimulate the energy too early and it can lead to real physical problems where they're knocked out because their body wasn't ready for it. So there's, I think, a natural timing to all this as well for each person. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe in that a thousand percent. And you said something else way at the beginning of your journey, which really resonates with my experience as well, is that for me, when I was starting to open up to this whole world of psychics and intuition, and I was starting to connect with my own guidance, and I was starting to hear and see things and experience things that were out of the, the 3D kind of experience, my first thought was I could perhaps be going insane. Right. <laughs> Here I'm a psychologist and you know I have this background and some people would think that you know these spirit guides I'm talking to for example like that's a little strange like maybe I'm losing it. And for me the validation well two things happened. One, life was getting better. It was just getting better. I was really fortunate too cuz people who knew me were like, "Wow, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing that." Like <laughs> they liked me better too. So life was getting better. It was getting easier. It was getting more joyful. So that was that was part of the proof in the pudding. But you know how humans are. Like sometimes we don't think that is enough. That should be enough, 1000%. But the other thing that was happening too is I was getting to the point where the preponderance of the evidence, like I was having so many experiences that would challenge that old way of thinking, but I realized they made more sense than the old way of thinking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I hit the tipping point where... Like, it didn't make sense not to believe in this stuff. Right, right. You know, and it sounds like your experience was similar. They're almost identical. That basically this alternative worldview was able to accommodate all of these various things that I was experiencing personally and researching. It was able to accommodate those things much better than my other worldview. So I had no choice intellectually but to switch. And in combination with that, I was having 
big shifts personally, where my life was getting much better. I was feeling more impassioned in what I was doing. And now it's turned into this more energetic experience. But you reminded me when you were just speaking of a few other experiences I had early on that really rocked my world. And they were related to synchronicities where some topic would come up repeatedly that was very esoteric. Like that was happening all the time. And it was so mind blowing to me. At the, I would, I remember in my phone, and my, I had a little notes thing open where I would write them all down as they were happening, because I just couldn't believe it when I would think about the odds that these things were, were happening, and there were so many of them all the time. That was big for me because, in addition to researching, I was having personal experiences that validated it. Yeah, and then when you start to have these experiences at a certain point, right, you're like, you cannot make them up. Yeah, you know, and that's when you like shift. Yes. And to get geeky again, because one of the touchstone things that I read in my life, and I did this in high school, was Structure of a Scientific Revolution by Thomas Kuhn. And he talks about, um, and I may or may not have said his name right, but that is totally cool because we'll have it in the notes and you can pronounce it however you like. But he was a historian of science and he talks about how we have these worldviews called paradigms and how when a paradigm shifts, so we all look at the world one way, like for existence, all the planets revolve around the earth. And then, you know, when that is no longer sustainable, because the evidence is taking us in a different direction, you know, people really cling on to the old way of doing things. And they cling Mm -hmm. on hard because that is their whole view of reality, right? That is the framework with which they understand themselves, their world, their lives. And so there is often a resistance. There is often a little bit of chaos before we make that leap into the new paradigm. Would you say that that's what's going on now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. On many levels, paradigm shifts are happening. And like we see in the awakening journey for individuals, there are ups and downs that are associated with it. It's not a smooth journey that's blissful the entire time. That's actually the opposite of how it's characterized. It's characterized as a letting go of old stuff and releasing trauma and allowing darkness within ourselves to emerge so that it can be released So I think we do experience that on a collective level too. Yeah, I think collective and individual. And when you talk about the dark night of the soul, and I've had another guest on the show, Mark Youngblood, who has a whole system of explaining like the awakening journey and the levels of it. And, you know, it's it's a rubric. I don't think it's set in stone, but he talks about each level has that dark night of the soul, has that place where the old way of being wears out and it feels like a breakdown. You know, it feels like a crisis. I'm going through one right now. And I often joke, I've been through at least 12 lifetimes in this body. I don't know how many more are to come, but that's what it feels like. It really feels like you're going through that birth canal and it's it's a little bit, it's a little bit tight. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I got it. Yeah. Well, that's exactly how I, I've been framing it for myself as I've been thinking about life recently. When I think to my past in this life, they do seem like past lives and even somewhat recently. Yeah, Like it was a different life because of the way I was looking at things and approaching things or whatever I was dealing with. So we do, do go through these birthing processes and there are multiple. So right. I, that's an important point because I think there can be an overly simplified version of the awakening journey, which is that there is an end point and that's it. But I think it's infinite and constantly evolving. So no matter how enlightened someone is, there's always the next birthing process. Yeah. And it's important to keep in mind, it's also important from the lens of having humility because no matter how much we think we know or how far we we've come there's always more more than we can conceptualize in our mind well because we're part of the expansion of energy right so that's going to keep going you're just right. riding that ever shifting wave yeah 
But I also love how you said there's no end point because I do think, you know, our linear logical minds want to have a goal and want to know when we're there. And to a certain extent, you're there right now. You've always been there, right? And you'll always yeah. be there. And it's just, it's just that process of re-becoming over and over again. You're reminding me of a quote from David Hawkins, a spiritual teacher that I've read a lot of his work. He says, essentially, that we're at some level, we're already enlightened because we are the one mind at the highest level of our being. So he says the best way to become enlightened is to stop being unenlightened. (laughs) I love that. That is a really really good place to, well, not stop, but start to wind down. I love that. That is amazing. Are you able to give us a preview of the third book or do I have to have you back? (laughs) I probably want to do both, but. (laughs) Sure. Well, I give you a preview. It it relates to the first two in that it talks about the the one mind framework, but in many ways it's very different. It's a book about political and economic theory and it overlays metaphysical ideas. But the, the first half of the book plus is about totally new stuff. Oh my gosh. I, I'm getting a preview and I'm getting uh, chills, which I don't usually get. Uh, you're going to change the world with that one, my friend. I am mind blown Thank you. feeling into that. I'm very excited for you and for the world. Thank you. Wowza. I'm excited for this one. It, it's, it might actually be some of the best evidence of the supernatural, so to speak, if you want to call it supernatural, because I never had an interest in these topics. I left the economics department. It was too abstract for me. I never thought about politics. But this, to me, is a paradigm shift in thinking about both domains in terms of like what's the nature of government and how does it interact with society. Yeah. So for me, it's been a journey, too, to just think about these topics for the first time. It sounds like that book for you is what your book was for me, a sort of closing the loop and coming home. So it's amazing. And I think the world needs it. So I can't wait till it's out. And I hope you'll come back to talk about it. I ask everyone this question on the show, Mark, since this is a podcast about intuition, what does intuition mean to you and how do you experience it? Intuition for me is a sense of knowing. And I use the word sense because it's kind of abstract. It's not something I can put my finger on. It's a sense that something is right or not right. And the way in which I experience it is in a sensory manner. It's a feeling. So I know that some people will hear and some people might smell. And maybe I do have those things to some degree or they see. Uh, but for me, it's really a feeling. Like I just kind of know with something. Yeah. So with this new book, it's a good example. When I, I've been researching for a while, but the, the pivotal idea about which the book is based came in the spring when I was researching. And when I came across it, I said, this is, this is it. And it fits everything else in. And I just, I just knew. And yeah. I said, I need to learn everything I can about this general topic in the same way that I wanted to learn everything about consciousness and the brain and what are all the counter arguments and everything like that. But where does that come from? How did I, how did I know? I can't explain that, but there was a sense. When you talk, I get the image of a puzzle piece and it's like the puzzle piece comes into the back of your brain and it fits and then everything fits around it. And then, you know, so I don't know if that image resonates with you or not, but that's, that's what I get. Yes. And it's funny you say that because it's one of the analogies I use in this new book. <laughs> Not in the exact same way that you described it, but it still applies. Oh my God. So that's really funny. You can't make this stuff up. Mark, yeah. this has been amazing. I could talk to you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I hope I'll get another chance. If listeners want to find you and what you're up to, where can they do that? My website, which is my name, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. And also I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's under Mark Gober Author. 
Awesome. Great. And we'll have all that information in the show notes, plus links to both of his books. And Mark, thanks again. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. Likewise. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Namaste. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down. <laughs>